You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Floorboards, the shingles. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Call us right now with your home improvement question. Call us right now with your do-it-yourself dilemma. Soup to nuts, floorboards, the shingles. We're here to help you get those projects done once, done right, so maybe you don't have to do them so frequently again. Coming up on today's program, we're going to talk about kitchen design. You know, these days it includes making space for laptops, checkbooks, and the homework all in the same place. But if you're going to steal some space from the hardest working room in your house for an office, you need to plan carefully. We'll tell you the six things that you need to know to create a home office space in your kitchen. And also ahead, do you find yourself just sick and tired of jumping in and out of your car every single time you need to open and close that garage door? Well, if you are, let me tell you, automatic openers, they are the way to go. And if you don't have one yet, we are going to tell you what you need to look for to make sure that you choose one that's safe for your whole family. And after a hard day of home improvement, a nice relaxing bath is great once you actually get into the tub. So coming up, we're going to have some tips on how to design safety into those very tight tight bathroom spaces. And we here at the Money Pit love to give you the tools to help you get all of your projects done. That's why this hour we're giving away a shark combination utility knife and wire stripper from our friends over at Rapid Tools. It is a prize pack worth 60 bucks, but of course, yours for free if you are our lucky Money Pit caller this hour. So pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 1-888-MONEYPIT. One caller to today's program will win that great prize from Rapid Tools. Leslie, who's first? Joan in New Jersey, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? Uh, yes. Uh, hi, Leslie. Enjoy enjoy the show. I have a question in reference to 40-year-old aluminum siding. I'm okay. Perhaps if I can paint over it, what are the steps? Should it be latex oil? Should it be prime? Should it be sanded? Is the siding in pretty good shape? You're just tired of the color? Uh, well, it is, it, it is white. It looks as though if I do power wash it, it looks as though that it's probably going to be you know, maybe a, a little bit chalking. I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to be losing probably some of the color if I did try to power wash it. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to paint it, you're going to want to lose some of that paint that's on the surface. You know, right. so many times we see with aluminum siding, as the paint starts to deteriorate, it sort of flakes off and becomes very chalky. Well, it looks as though like it's getting like a lot of black marks around, uh, uh, you know, uh, closer to the ground level. When you say black marks, are you seeing sort of speckled looking mold? I guess that's what it would be called that I never really figured that's what it was. So, okay. Well, do you have a lot of mulch in the area on the ground where the siding and where you're seeing this sort of dotting? Uh, yes. Uh, not, not a lot, but definitely it's in front of the house, yes. 
Because Tom and I always talk about there's something called artillery fungus yes. or shotgun mold. And it appears a lot of times on siding and on the siding of homes when you have mulch in your garden and your flower beds, especially right up next to the home. And it's terribly difficult to get rid of. Does bleach and water work on that one as well, Tom? Yeah, it will. A siding wash or bleach and water will do it. But in terms of painting the aluminum siding, yeah. essentially what you're going to want to do is try to... Uh, sand as much of the old paint off as possible. You can wire brush it. You can power wash it. Be careful with the power washer, though. Yeah, you want to get as much loose stuff off as you possibly can. And then I would recommend an oil-based primer because you get really good adhesion that way. And then you can use a latex top coat. And if you can, I would recommend spraying the paint, not just brushing it. Just so you're not seeing any brush marks. And there's so many nooks and crannies, it would just be a wrist nightmare. Oh, okay. All right. That certainly sounds, sounds like very good advice. All right. Well, good luck with that project, John. All right. Thank, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. And the best is if you rent one of those paint sprayers, right. you should also buy one of those little disposable white paint suits that you zip into with the mm-hmm. hood and everything. <laughs> Just so you look totally professional. Just so you look like you're doing the job because you the look do is very end up important. with overspray. <laughs> Time to talk flooring with Greg. What can we do for you? Hi. Um, I have a situation where I'm going to replace the carpet in my uh, living room. I okay. want to put a wood floor down, and I'm looking at the carbonized bamboo uh, that's five-eighths thick by about three-and-a-half inches wide. What's the and, subfloor? And uh, right now, uh, even though I live in the northeast uh, New England area, I have a slab or concrete slab floor, no basement, okay. and then a half-inch piece of plywood on top of that, and then, of course, the carpet, which will come up. And I wanted to know if I could, uh, you know, can fasten this wood floor to the half-inch plywood or do I need a, a thicker uh, subfloor? Well, first of all, if you're putting down any type of solid floor, I know this is bamboo, so it's not quite as susceptible to twisting as other types of solid hardwoods, but you better make darn sure that the manufacturer rates this for use over a concrete slab. Now, I know Armstrong makes a bamboo flooring that's similar to like an engineered hardwood. It's constructed in the same way where it's, you know, plot cross-ply base technology with the bamboo on top so it's perfectly made for on slab yeah if it's an engineered hardwood floor then you're okay on a slab if it's solid generally you cannot put it on a slab okay so if it's a solid meaning if, if it's a solid wood right then you don't recommend that no because it, there's too much moisture in the slab and it will warp and twist but if it's an engineered hardwood which is made sort of like plywood but out of better wood and it looks like right. solid when you're done that's okay for a concrete floor and I know that the one for a concrete slab, and I know the one that Armstrong makes is like a locking snap-together technology that doesn't need to be fastened down. It, it like sort of right. floats so over your subfloor. Like a floating floor. Exactly. Yeah, you, would have a, you would have a difficult time putting a traditional hardwood floor over if all you had to nail it into was a half-inch worth of plywood. There's just not enough meat there to, to, to really secure it properly. So you probably want to look at, a, at an engineered floor with a locked-together technology that will essentially float on top of that. Well, very good. Thank you. You're welcome, Greg. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Give us a call with your home repair, your home improvement question, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. You know, Leslie, I love my garage door opener, especially when it's raining really bad. (laughs) And you're staying nice and dry in your car. You can open that up and drive right in. They're also a lot easier on the back. But if you're thinking about picking one up, or upgrading your current garage door opener, we've got some advice on the best models for your particular needs. That's coming up after this. Hey, 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 money pit. 
portion of the Money Pit is brought to you by RYOBI, manufacturer of professional feature power tools and accessories with an affordable price for the do-it-yourselfer. RYOBI Power Tools, pro features, affordable price. Available exclusively at the Home Depot. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show, where we make good homes better. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And you should pick up the phone and give us a call at one eight 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 money pit Let us know what you're working on. We can help you. We won't judge. If you've already knocked a hole in the wall that probably shouldn't have been there, we can help you fix it quick before the uh, spouse gets home and then you get into a heap <laughs> of trouble. And one of our lucky callers who asked their home improvement question on the air this hour is going to get a chance to win a $60 prize pack from our friends over at Rapid Tools. It includes the Shark Combination Utility Knife, which sounds very, very sharp with wire stripper. It's got an edge serrated utility blades and even a utility knife with LED lights so you can really see what you're working on. Give us a call right now at one eight 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 Money Pit for your chance to get in. And don't forget, you get an answer to your home improvement dilemma. So it's a win-win. It's the two-for-one deal. 888-666-3974. Well, is jumping in and out of your car to open the garage door getting to be a little bit of a nuisance. It's kind of hard on your back. We know that. So it might be time to look into an electric garage door opener or you maybe want to upgrade your current model. Here's what you need to know. First of all, there are three basic types. There is the chain drive system. These can be really noisy if your garage is connected to the house, but they're also very powerful if you have a really heavy garage door. There's also the screw drive model. These are good for one-piece doors that tilt open. And finally, the belt drive is absolutely the quietest, but it's also the most expensive. Yeah, you should also consider an opener that has a rolling code technology, which means when you push the button on your remote, a coded signal is sent to the receiver in your garage. And the rolling code, it changes that signal every single time you use it so burglars don't drive around your neighborhood with an opener and sort of just press buttons randomly to see if they've got the same one. And, oh, look, that door opened, and now I'm going to help myself to all their tools. So it's a good extra measure of security to protect your family. Now, if you have an older garage door opener, it might be time to think about replacing it because the technology has definitely changed and the older openers they're just not as safe as the newer ones they're not as sensitive they don't have the anti-reverse technology there are both crushing injuries and pinching injuries that happen every single year so if you've got an old one say more than about five or six years old might be time to think about replacing it so it's safe for everyone in the family this is the money pit home improvement radio show call us right now with your home improvement question at 1-888-MONEY-PIT who's next John in New Jersey, you've got the money pit. What can we do for you today? Uh, yes. Um, I was looking to purchase a new home, and their heating was propane gas. And I, I asked them if um, I'd rather go with some heat pumps um, because I think that the uh, propane gas would be very expensive in the long run. And I would like your opinions on uh, economically and uh, the advantages of a heat pump. The problem with the heat pump is that in this area, it's real expensive to run, and very often it has to run on its electric backup zone. See, the way a traditional heat pump works is it maintains the temperature differentiation between what you set the thermostat out and about 2 degrees. So if you set it at 70 and it falls to 68, in the house the heat pump runs. If it falls to 67 or below, then the electric resistance backup heat comes on, and that's real expensive to run. So um, if I had a choice of an electric heat pump or propane, I probably would use a high-efficiency propane system. If a ground source heat pump was available, then I might go with a heat pump because that's going to be more efficient in the long run. 
Tim in Texas could be on the verge of a hair-raising situation. You want to do some electrical work, my friend, huh? That's correct. What can we do for you? Uh, listen, I've got a two-story house, about 3,500 square feet, and built in 1968, and it's got aluminum wiring throughout mm. the whole house. Okay. And I'm, and I'm trying to decide, uh, pigtail everything, do I reroute the entire aluminum wiring throughout the whole house because I'm getting the electrical outlets being shot, the expansion of the wires breaking, i got to hire an electrician to f- fix it every time and find out where the break is in the line. Get any advice for me? Aluminum wiring, two-story house. Tim, probably the most uh, practical solution is a type of connector called an Alumicon connector, A-L-U-M-I-C-O-N-N. Their website is alcopstore.com, like alcopstore.com. What this connector does is it basically provides a housing where you can insert both ends of of the aluminum wire, one piece of copper, and then it's sort of like a metal bridge, and you screw these things down, and right. it pinches it. So it's kind of like a crimp connector, but it's one that can be done mechanically with a screwdriver. Right. I've, I've seen uh, that done. We tried, we've got some, a couple of pigtails done with a purple top where you screw them, them in together, but I'm getting breaks throughout the house, like maybe... 15 feet into the outlet. So are these wires breaking down like sort of mid-span? Right. And well, then listen, if your wiring is that bad, you have to replace it. Yeah. There's, there's no point in repairing it any further. You need to replace it because you could create a fire hazard right in the middle of the wall somewhere. Oh, exactly. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. What I would do is I would start planning on replacing it, maybe do it in sections of the house, mm-hmm. do the easiest stuff to access first. But if right. you're finding mid-wall breaks like that, which is probably the final stages of deterioration for this wiring, you definitely have to replace it. Now, by the way, the, the type of wiring that's used for the heavy appliances in your house, it's aluminum, the 240-volt aluminum wiring, that's uh-huh. okay. We're only talking about the number 10, number 12 aluminum wiring that's used for branch circuits. Number 10 and number 12? Right. Okay. And uh, should I go no less than a mass electrician to do all this work? Absolutely. I would use an yeah. electrician for this. Heading over to chat with Meryl in Rhode Island. What can we do for you today? I have a problem with my toilet. I miss sounds strange. Once in a while, it just flushes itself. <laughs> okay. That's not strange. There's a ghost in your house, Meryl. I, that's what I was thinking. I mean, yeah. it happened in the middle of the night. It's a very simple explanation. What you have is a leaking flush valve. That's oh. the flapper valve in the bottom of the toilet tank. And as the water leaks out, when it gets to a certain level... The fill valve kicks on again, then refills the toilet. Sounds just like a flush. Oh, really? That sounds good. I'll try that. Thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. All right. We've been talking about this for months now here at the Money Pit, and now is your chance to weigh in on the ugliest door in America. That's right. The judges have now come up with the 10 ugliest doors from all the entries received by the folks over at Thermatrue for our Ugliest Door in America contest. And i got to tell you, there are some really awful doors out there to see. I was really surprised by how ugly those door submissions actually were. you got to see it. 
<laughs> All right. Well, now we've heard what Tom thinks about these doors. Now it's your turn. We want you to visit MyUglyDoor.com and then vote for the door and the homeowner who you think are the most deserving. And that winner is going to get a completely installed, state-of-the-art $5,000 Thermatrue entry door system. So if you want to participate, go to MyUglyDoor.com and vote today for the ugliest door in America. Leslie, who's next? Barbara in Georgia has an air conditioning question. What can we do for you today? Hi, thanks for taking my phone call. Um, I live northeast outside of Atlanta, have a two-story house with individual air conditioning units for each level. Okay. And since I only live on the main floor, um, is it prudent to turn off the air conditioning for the second floor or just set it at a higher temperature? Uh, I don't see any reason that you need to keep the air conditioning on the second floor on. As long as you're comfortable on the first floor, there's no reason to run it on the second at the same time. All right, and I wouldn't have to worry about humidity building or any kind of mold? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. If your attic is properly vented, it shouldn't be an issue. Because the attics are always going to be as humid as they are with the system on or with the system off. It really doesn't make any difference. You are listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. We've got more great home improvement advice coming up, including great information for all of you who find that you're spending way more time in your kitchen these days, not just cooking, maybe, you know, doing office work, an at-home job, kids doing their homework. So if you find you're spending way more time in there, we've got six things that you need to keep in mind when you're redesigning a kitchen that's going to double as an office. So stick around. On the Money Pit Radio Show. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling 888-MONEY-PIT. It is brought to you by Bear Premium Plus Ultra Exterior Paint and Primer in One with advanced NanoGuard technology to help you save time and money while preserving your home's exterior finish. For more information, visit Bear.com. That's B-E-H-R.com. Bear products are available exclusively at the Home Depot. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Call us right now with your home improvement question. Call us right now with your do-it-yourself dilemma. Pick up the phone and call us at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Hey, call us right now if you're presently working from home or would love to do just that. I work from home. Leslie, I know you work from home. Sure do. And it sure is a treat to not have to spend gas money on that commute every single day. But the question is this. How do you find spaces to do that. Well, millions of us are turning to our kitchens to do just that. You know, we used to have to carve out space just for keys and cell phones and laptop chargers, but now we're all trying to carve out actually a work center where we can get something done around the house. Now, if you want to do that, of course, you got to plan very carefully. Well, that's why we are turning to the smartest guy we know, our Phi Beta Kappa carpenter and fine home buildings editor, Kevin Ireton, who is joining us to tell us about the key ingredients on how to cook up a kitchen office. Now, Kevin, if you could tell me how sometimes to not work the entire day in my pajamas, it, that would even be more helpful. <laughs> Believe me, I think that's the way to go. Who wants to be wearing a coat and tie when you can just be wearing your pajamas and slippers? Especially during important business conference calls. <laughs> well, what's the first thing that we need to think about when we're going to carve out that space, Kevin? If you're going to put an office space in the kitchen, the first question is where are you going to put it? And the important thing to do is to keep it out of the work triangle. That 
all-important sink, refrigerator, stove, triangle. You want to stay outside of that space. At the same time, you kind of want to be in the main traffic flow. You want to be able to see the rest of the kitchen. Now, if you're going to be making this sort of your home office or your workspace, how do you personalize your desk enough? Because being that it's in such a social spot of the house, pretty much every family member is going to use it. That's the first critical question. Who's going to use it? What are you going to use it for? Are you going to use it for serious work or is it for bill paying? Is it for, you know, recipes and grocery lists? You need to figure out which tasks you're going to handle there and then create a space for that, whether it's cubbies or closed doors, et cetera. You need to figure out what you need for your work. You know, the real challenge is just to get the privacy that you need to actually have a, a work life when you're in the middle of, you know, the buzz that can be your home. I mean, do we need to get sort of an on-air light like we have in radio stations to tell everybody to quiet down when we're on the phone? It wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> but different people have different needs as far as some need a lot of peace and quiet. Other people like to be around activity, so it really depends on you. Is it a good idea to sort of keep you know, an area maybe on a central wall or on a cabinet near this workspace as sort of like a message center, let people know what needs to be bought, phone calls, to-do lists, etc.? Absolutely, you want a message center. It can be either a bulletin board that you pin stuff up on, it can be a dry erase board or even a chalkboard, but that's a place where you're going to have lists that are constantly changing. It's a way of communicating, took the dog for a walk, I'll be back in half an hour, that sort of thing. That's the perfect solution. We're talking to Kevin Ireton. He's the editor of Fine Home Building Magazine about how to cook up a kitchen office. Now, Kevin, it seems that one of the most important things to consider when you're designing an office is lighting. The lighting needs that you have in the kitchen could be quite different than the lighting needs that you might have for an office. So how do you merge the two? Well, of course, a, a skylight or a window, natural light is always preferable. But the key thing for an office space is that you need task lighting over that desktop and you want that lighting in such a way that it illuminates the whole desktop without any shadows, sometimes having a light over the desk with a valance in front of it is the best way to go. And along the lines of electricity, what about extra power? I mean, suddenly we're introducing computers, charging stations. You know, do we need to plan for that? We all need a place to recharge the cell phones and PDAs and all that stuff, iPods. So absolutely, you need enough outlets easily accessible to do that, but you also need your Internet access. And while we're on that subject you know, make a desk wide enough for two people to sit at it. I can't tell you how many times you see two people pulling up to look at something together on a website. Plan for that as well. And it's a great space to sit down and do your homework with your kids. Kevin Ireton, editor of Fine Home Building Magazine, thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Hey, if you want to read uh, the Fine Home Building article on cooking up a kitchen office, it's on newsstands now. Part of the kitchen's issue, or you can log on to finehomebuilding.com. All right. Well, now that you've got everybody in your home jammed into your kitchen, using it for every possible usage that they can think of, you know, it's probably reminding you of all those years of elementary school gym class where you played obstacle course or poison ivy and you had to climb over things and under things and jump over barriers just for the fun of it. But if you like to take baths, you might be undertaking a whole nother obstacle course in your own home without even meaning it. And it could be a slippery, dangerous one, my friends. When we come back, we're going to have tips on making your bathroom much safer. So stick around. You're in a money pit. It's time to do your civic duty as an American and vote for the ugliest door in America. You've been hearing about this contest for months. Now the judging panel at Thermatrue has chosen 10 finalists. But it's up to you to decide who wins a $5,000 entryway makeover. 
Visit UglyDoor.com to see America's Ugliest Doors and cast your ballot today. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And if you just bought a house, thought you got a really good deal, and then discovered that the attic doubles as a squirrel trap, give us a call right now. We'll help <laughs> hey, you. Hey, they live there too. <laughs> That's right. They got a place to live. Now we'll help you get rid of those guys at 1 888 Money Pit, 888 666 3974. Besides getting rid of the unwanted squirrels in your attic, or bats in your belfry, we'll be able to help you out by giving you the opportunity to win our $60 prize package. This hour, we're giving away the Shark Knife, which is the first and only tool to combine a utility knife with a wire stripper. It's a one-button, quick-change blade that it is easy to use and saves money and saves time. The package is worth 60 bucks. Going to go to one caller that reaches us at 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974. Yeah, that's right. Pick up the phone. Let us know what you're working on. Maybe you are finally designing that dream bath in your home, you know, with that bathtub that's just deep enough to get you right up to the neck and your legs fully outstretched. And if you can fully submerge your body, you know how absolutely relaxing a bath can be. That is, once you actually get into the tub, and sometimes that's the hardest part. I mean, think about it. You've got to step over a high tub wall while you try as hard as you can to keep your balance. Then you have to lower yourself into the tub using all of your arm strength. And you do all of this on a super wet and slippery surface. And if you're a parent bathing a small child, that bathtub fitness test is just as hard when you're dealing with a super slippery toddler on your hands and knees who just wants to get away from you and swim like a fish. And if you're looking for a new tub, you want to look for one that has a ledge or a transfer bench built right into the side. To get to the bathtub safely, you simply sit on the ledge, swing your legs into the tub, and then you can use the grab bars and rails to lower yourself into the water. And then you say, ah... The ledge also gives that young parent a place to sit while baiting a youngster. The best thing about these tubs, they look like they belong in high-end hotel rooms, not a nursing home. They are very, very slick, very stylish, and it'll make a nice addition to your bathroom space. All right, if all of this sounds very exciting and a brand spanking new bathtub is part of your bathroom makeover, then you definitely want to look for our 10 tips, which is in our very next issue of our Money Pit e-newsletter. Sign up now. If you're not already getting it, go to moneypit.com. It's totally free. And then, bing bong, every Friday, it's going to be right there in your inbox. 888-666-3974. Let's get back to the phones. Leslie, who's next? Rose in Pennsylvania needs some help with a concrete situation. What's going on? Hi. I have an old house, and the steps going down to the pool are concrete, but they're falling apart. Do I have to dig them all back up and put new in, or is there some way I can repair them to make them look good? Well, I think you definitely can repair them. Is the concrete surface deteriorated? Yes. Okay. You can use an epoxy patching compound. And basically okay. recoat those and sort of build out all the deteriorated sort of pitted areas. You can right. buy epoxy uh, patching compounds at home centers, or you can buy it online. There's a good industrial website that sells products uh, for the home as well called Abatron, A-B-A-T-R-O-N. They have a great line, very extensive line of uh, concrete repair products there. Thank you very much for your help. You're welcome, Rose. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Jacob in Georgia needs some help with a plumbing project. What can we do for you? Hi. Um, I've got a uh, shower stall in an old apartment. Well, it's not, not that old, 1991. Um, but I cannot figure out how to turn off the water supply so I can change the faucet. Uh, that would be the main water valve, Jacob. Do you know where that is? 
Uh, well, I know where the one outside is. Is that what I'm going to end up doing? Well, the one outside, does the one outside control all the water flow into the entire house? Yes, sir. Uh, well, that would probably be the, the easiest way to do this. Yeah, just turn the water off at the main while you make that repair. You know, if, if you're so fortunate that there are shutoff valves in line on the way to the shower, you can always turn it off there. But chances are, in an apartment, that's going to be difficult to find. So the easiest, most positive thing to do is to turn off the main water valve and then replace the faucet. Yeah, but don't you need to get approval from everybody else in the building since you're going to be cutting all their water? No, I'm presuming that it only impacts this one apartment. apartment. Okay. <laughs> that would that's probably great. be a good thing to know before you do that. Do you go turning it off? <laughs> I have one more question. What's the value uh, for adding a like a tankless water heater to a rental property? Uh, if it's a rental property, I would uh, recommend it to your landlord, but I would not do it yourself. I would uh, not no, pay as, for it yourself. I'm renting. For... <laughs> right. I know. You're renting. So, no, it's not the kind of thing because you can't take it with you. And it's a great thing. It's a great product, but it's going to last you 15 or 20 years. And so unless... Uh, you somehow are going to earn the uh, payback for that, then I definitely wouldn't do it if I was a renter. <clears throat> if I was a landlord, I would do it immediately because I would have no more complaints of running out of hot water from any of my tenants, and I would save lots and lots of money. Call us right now with your home improvement question at one eight 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 Money Pit, or head on over to moneypit.com, click on Ask Tom and Leslie, and shoot us an email question. When we come back, we're going to tackle one about plumbing systems. One of our emailers wants to know, are PVC pipes just as good as their copper counterparts? We'll answer it next. On the Money Pit Radio Show. The Money Pit is being brought to you by Guardian Home Standby Generators, America's choice in power outage protection. Learn more at guardiangenerators.com. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And our podcast is rated the most downloaded home improvement podcast on iTunes. We're very excited about that and would love to share that with you. Simply go to moneypit.com, click on the listen section, and then click to download our podcast. If you subscribe there at moneypit.com, it will show up in your iTunes every single week. All right. Now you're listening to your iTunes podcast of the Money Pit, and all of a sudden you're like, wait. I have a question, but I don't feel like picking up the phone. Go back to moneypit.com, click on that little icon that says, Ask Tom and Leslie, and then we will answer you back like we do every hour when we dip into our email bag. We've got a bunch on deck today. We've got one from Kim in Urbana, Ohio, who writes, Our builder is giving us a choice between OSB and Blueboard. Which is better? Hmm. Well, I got to tell you, Kim, Would this I am be for not like exterior sheathing. What are they talking about? I'm a little confused by the question because blue board is, you know, the board that's used for bathrooms. It's called green board, like a tile backer, right? Like a tile backer. But except it doesn't really work that well. But anyway, <laughs> the builders use it. It's pretty cheap stuff and it lasts about five or 10 years and then it melts. But blue board is another type of drywall that's used for veneer plaster. It's the base for a veneer coat of plaster. So mm -hmm. if you actually did sort of a plaster lath wall where you started with like a drywall and you put wet plaster over it, that would be put on top of blue board. Which you wouldn't use OSB for because that'd be too much moisture, right? I think what Kim might be talking about is blue stripe OSB, which is the Georgia Pacific 
brand of OSB. The bottom line is that if your builder wants to use OSB, which, by the way, stands for, ready to write this down now, Oriented Strand Board. That's the SAT question of the day. <laughs> and it looks pretty cool if you ever build furniture out of OSB and then just put like a nice, high, glossy finish on it. It looks really kind of modern fun. It also keeps your house from falling down because basically what it does is it reinforces the two by four walls and stops them from racking, which is that action where they slide back and forth. And so I think if your builder is going to use OSB, it's just fine and dandy. As for the blue board, not so sure what they mean about that. I think that there's also like a weather sort of treated OSB that they may be referring to. But frankly, if you use standard OSB and then a weather barrier like Tyvek, you'll be good to go. All right, we've got one here from Nick in Charleston, West Virginia, who writes, My house, which was built in 1991, does not have copper pipes. Everything is PVC plumbing. Will this be a problem in the future? How long do PVC pipes last? Because I didn't build the house. Longer than you and me, Nick. The PVC pipes should be fine. Don't see any reason for you to be concerned about them. All right, Don in Harrisburg, Virginia. I have a shop building that I would like to insulate. The roof purlins are two by eights. I plan to put in six inches of insulation. Does the space above the insulation and below a steel roof also need to be ventilated, as does a conventional structure? Yes, because the insulation is not going to insulate if it gets damp. So you need to provide a path for that moisture to get out. So if you have an eight-inch rafter, you only put six inches of insulation. Leave that extra two-inch gap for the air to flow out. Provide a path, Don. Make sure that you have vents at the base of the roof, like at the overhang at the soffit, and again towards the ridge. That'll ventilate it properly, keep the insulation nice and dry and energy efficient. Insulation, ventilation, the perfect partnership. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. If you couldn't get through, we apologize, but want to remind you that the phone lines are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and staffed by our very excellent group of call screeners. They're standing by, live, real people, ready to take your home improvement question. Now, you could take a chance and, and maybe ask them to answer it, but... If they don't get it right, don't worry. We'll call you back the next time we're in the studio. But for now, the show continues online at MoneyPit.com. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Money Pit.